Welcome to Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures. This is a rare opportunity for us to revisit a past episode. And I I feel like um, uh, a lot of life is about second chances. And this is our second chance to get things right for our She's Like the Wind podcast. So the last time we we did our podcast, we, we discussed what we learned on Wikipedia. And we kind of mentioned offhand that... Uh, Patrick Swayze had a co-writer on a song named Stacy Wildlets. So I had some mention like Stacy, so if you're out there, we just want to make sure we mention it. Little did I realize Stacy was actually literally out there and heard our podcast and reached out to us and was super generous to offer to talk with us about the song. Yeah, it was it was just a funny thing because um, I have a Google alert set to the phrase she's like the wind so that I can keep track of what's happening with it around the world and, you know, whatever. <laughs> if it's popping up on a record that wasn't licensed properly, things like that. And so the Google alert popped up and it had your podcast in it. So I clicked on it just to see, and I found it very entertaining. I was really, I was laughing at times, especially as you, you know, trying to figure out the hidden <laughs> meaning in some of the lyrics. That, that, that really amused me. But it was, it was, it was very well done and, and uh, you know, I, I'm glad for the facts that you did get straight. You you got a lot more straight than most people do. We can thank the internet for that too. That was uh, and, and Bill's research. Uh, it's, uh, uh, he's he's yeah. usually slightly more prepared. And uh, it was funny when you sent off that message to us. My initial reaction was uh, before I had even read the message was just like, well, we got our first cease and desist, so I guess we're we made it into the big time now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, yeah, there was a moment of terror. I, I just saw your name. I'm like, oh, 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 no. No, no. It, it, I'm from uh, Long Island, New York, right. originally. What would have happened was there would have been a knock <laughs> on your door. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> Stacy, your website is incredible. This is the thing that we, oh, we talk so much about our research and we go to Wikipedia often. And then I was looking at the bottom of Wikipedia yesterday and had a, a little uh, note mentioning your website. But then when I went to your website, I, I haven't seen a, a website in sort of this era that was this well sort of put together with so much information on it, especially about She's Like the Wind. And I just had my head in my hands thinking, oh, we missed all of this <laughs> in our, our first go round. So... um I know our listeners are probably similar to us where it, w it would have been much for me to type in your name to try to look up a website, which I didn't do. But we wanted to sort of talk through the song more and, and, and the writing of it. Yeah, the, the website was the result of a uh, pandemic shutdown where uh, uh, my old website I was not happy with. And I actually worked with a company uh, to put the new one together. And the first thing they did was they held two sessions of two-hour conversations with me. And they were the ones that said, the website should be about your music, your photography, which is a new, newer mm -hmm. pursuit, but also the stories behind all of it. Right. And so that's what gave rise to the whole thing describing how She's Like the Wind was written, how I met Patrick, and whom I knew as Buddy, yeah. by the way. Yes. When he first introduced himself to me, when I met him in his acting class, he introduced himself as Buddy. And that's how I always knew him and how friends and family knew him. So um, it was interesting. And that acting class that you had gone to, because you were there as a uh, uh, 
you talked to them about uh, musical theater. Was that is that right? Yeah. What happened was uh, I had a, a friend in L.A. I was probably living in L.A. about a year and a half at this point with my then girlfriend Wendy Fraser, yeah. who sings on this right, song. Right. Right. And a friend of mine who's a very good musical comedy performer, uh, theater guy, wanted to do a scene in his acting class for his teacher and the other students from the musical Shenandoah. And it was a very good dramatic scene. And uh, we rehearsed it at my apartment and then brought it into the class. And about 60, 65 students in the class and the, the teacher, who was a very famous acting teacher named Milton Katselis, and I'm looking around, you know, I was sort of recognizing some people, like Tom Selleck was in the class. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, cool. A, a young Alec Baldwin was in the class. Uh, President Reagan's daughter, Patty, was in the class. Oh, I, my I mean, goodness. It, it, was, it was interesting. It, Mimi Rogers was in that class, too. Is that true? Mimi Rogers was in that class. Yeah, oh. it was, it was uh, uh, quite a gathering. Anyway, so my friend Gary and I did the song and went, very well. And um, they, one of the students asked me, the teacher drew me into the conversation and asked me how I knew exactly when to start the music. I said, well, when we rehearsed it, because it's a scene where this young kid wakes up on the battlefield wounded and he realizes, you know, he's scared, he's hurt, he doesn't know where he is. And he sings a song called Mama, Can You Hear Me? So when we rehearsed it, I said to Gary, I said, when do you want me to start the intro? Because he was doing some shtick on stage, you know, lying there. And he said, um, when my lips start quivering like I'm about to cry, that's when you start. So I wrote on the music, look for quivering lips. <laughs> and so when somebody said, how did you know when to start? I said, I have it notated, look for quivering lips. And they were all hysterical. And I said, but that's, that's mm -hmm. a great visual cue. Yeah. And then it turned to a, a discussion about how music fits into musical theater because, you know, it's so strange that somebody just starts singing, you know, right away. And I brought up uh, a line that I had heard years ago, which was, in good musical theater, when the emotion is too great to speak, you sing. Okay. And that's how it's supposed to segue. And then dancers take that a step further and say, when you can't sing anymore, then you dance. So it, it became, you know, an interesting discussion. And when it wrapped up, the class took a break. And this guy came over to me who looked familiar to me. And he said, hi, I'm Buddy. I really liked uh, your, you know, your playing and your discussion of theater and all that. And I was looking at him and I said, you know, you look really familiar to me. And he said, um, well, did you see the movie The Outsiders? And I said, no. And he said, did you see the TV show Renegades? And I said, no. And so now he's getting annoyed. And uh, uh, he mentioned a couple of other things that I hadn't seen. And I said, it's not that kind of familiar. It's like I've, I've seen you around familiar. Right. Then a blonde woman came over and he said, this is my wife, Lisa. And I said, okay, now I know. The two of you are always working on a black Datsun 240Z on La Jolla Avenue on the weekends. And they said, yeah, how do you know that? I said, I live right around the block from you. I mean, I live two houses away from you. And so we started hanging out. It was, you know, he and Lisa and Wendy and, and, and I, we would get together for lunch or dinner and we'd talk about music. And I had a, 
somewhat of a background uh, doing music for dance. And so they were interested in that as well. And so we were friends. And uh, then probably within about a half a year of that, because uh, I was writing music for television, daytime television. Right. And so Patrick called me and said, I have this idea for a song that I can't get anywhere with. The movie I'm working on now, which was called Grandview USA, terrible movie, okay. uh, uh, just a stinker. I'm really glad you said that because we, we talked about that last time. Like, oh, gee, I wonder if, if I got it wrong because as was, well was watching, I'm like, what movie is this? But anyway, okay. <laughs> okay yeah, good. it's, yeah. Anyway, so we were originally, you know, he, I said, sure, come on over. So he came over with his guitar from around the block. And I was at the piano, and uh, uh, he played C to E minor over and over, and um, just basically had verses. Mm -hmm. Right. And he, the first two lines really intrigued me, which was, she's like the wind through my tree. She rides the night next to me. And then the third and fourth lines that he said, I didn't like. And uh, this relates to your earlier podcast. So uh, I said, I don't like those lines. So he said, well, what would you say? And I just like that said, I don't know, she leads me through moonlight only to burn me with the sun. Because I thought more mm -hmm. nature imagery. And he just looked at me and he said, what does that mean? And I said, I don't <laughs> care, just write it down. And then we were kind of off and running. And I said, well, it's got to go someplace musically. It can't play. So I started moving some chords around. And uh, what really clicked was when we realized that She's Like the Wind wasn't just the opening line, that it was yeah. also the hook. Right. And when we, we wrote that in as the hook with that descending chord pattern, that's when we realized it, it had taken mm -hmm. shape. That's when, you know, when that was done, then we did a, a really good quality demo of it with um, him singing it, Wendy doing some background vocals and this little interplay at the end, which made it to the final version. Right. And I, I programmed all the synthesizers and drums and I brought in a guitarist friend of mine. And so that was the demo. Was that always the, the intention for like Wendy to kind of uh, bring the song home with, the, with Patrick? Because uh, um, was it always kind of intended that way or did that just sort of happen naturally? I think it happened more organically in the studio when we started repeating that chord pattern and making it a, you know, a big ending. Mm -hmm. I think they came up with the idea of a responsorial, basically just a fool, just a fool to believe. And, and then coming together in harmony at the very end. And then it just fades out. And what happened with the final version for the version that made it into Dirty Dancing, it was recorded for the movie. The executive producer of the record, Jimmy Einer, who was kind of a legend of record business, mm -hmm. I spoke to him on the phone. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things he said to me was, who's the girl? Is she signed to a record label? And I said, well, that's my girlfriend, Wendy. And no, she's not signed to a record label. She said, okay, great, because she's fantastic. And I want to use her on the final version of the song. And that's how she ended up, you know, in the final version as well. Okay, cool. When we had done our meatloaf episode on I'd Do Anything for Love, there was a um, the singer at the end of that as well named Lorraine Crosby who who does this sort of back and forth with him. But I, I know that she was uncredited and then even for the um, 
profits from the from the record she didn't uh, get anything from it but i was listening to a podcast where he talked about that they gave wendy some points a, a point yeah well what happened was the way that came together um wendy and i were still together when the deal was made uh we split up three yeah. weeks before the single was released so that's that's just great right you know yeah <laughs> but um when the deal was made in 1986 uh i was with triad artists as a composer uh, at that point, I'd gotten really good right. representation. By coincidence, uh, Patrick was with triad as an actor. So it just happened to be we were at the same agency. And so my suggestion to him was, why don't we have my music agent do the deal for us? That way we'll be coming from a more powerful position as, as United Front with one person representing us. And uh, he thought that was a great idea. And my agent, you know, basically because he had gotten to know Wendy and um, knew we were a couple and all this, he got her credit uh, where it was Patrick Swayze, Swayze featuring Wendy Fraser and then got her a point on the sale of the record. So she did extremely well off of that. That's great news, just because yeah. we hear so many horror stories about that era where you could write a great song, but uh, not get publishing rights. But I know that both you and Patrick both ended up having yeah. publishing rights on the song, which is which yes. is fantastic, it, it, too. At the time, it was insignificant because it was a little low-budget movie that nobody thought was going to do anything. Mm -hmm. But once everything exploded, right. I remember a guy at BMI, the Performing Rights Organization, saying to me when the song was a, a hit, he was telling me about the royalties and all this stuff. And he said, well, this is, this is going to be fantastic. He said, just imagine if you actually owned your own publishing on this. And so I said, well, I do. And he just looked at me and his jaw dropped and he said, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and so it was, it was, it was just that significant at, by that time. Well, that's great. Um, there's things I, I just have written down here, things we missed. And so <laughs> I yeah, I desperately wanted to talk about this line from the song. And I, I actually emailed you about it. And I forgot it. Like, oh, because my favorite line was she's out of my league. I remember telling you that in an email saying, I, I wonder how that. And you, you mentioned that that was actually one of Patrick's lines. Yes, it was. He had it somewhere in the verses that he was writing. But we changed it musically from the way he had it because right. he, like I said, he had the repeating chords. So when we move to the uh, A minor to the B minor and all that, then it becomes like, like a pre-chorus almost, you know, feel her breath yes. on my face, her body close to me, can't look in her eyes. She's out of my league. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes into, so it's really kicks off the just a fool to believe I have anything she needs. So, uh, but yeah, that, that was actually a very good line that he had in there. Mm -hmm. There was, there was a lot that he had lyrically that, that was good, but right. other things needed to be brushed up. Well, it, it's amazing where the placement of a line, the sound, we, we talked about this too in our emails where there might be moments where the lyric on its own doesn't make sense, 
But once you hear the the music go with it, the way that it's sung, it makes all the sense in the world, even though you can't right. explain it to someone until they feel it. For Frank and I, She's Out of My League, of course, makes perfect sense because we've lived that <laughs> in our lives so much. I'm still living that life. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so many lines in here that remind me of being, uh, hearing this when I was in, I think, grade eight. And as a teenager, just the lines resonated so much with that un- unrequited love was such right. a huge emotion. And like the ultimate thing, I, I think, Frank, if I can speak for you, we've uh, experienced in so much of our lives <laughs> <laughs> that these songs resonate so deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, my contention is that the songs we listen to from about the age of 11 or 12 through 18 to 20 are the songs that stay with us for the rest of our lives. And that will knock us out of dementia, you know, when, when we're at that point. Yeah. yeah. Because we're going through so much hormonal and emotional and physical change that those songs become the soundtrack for that. They become the soundtrack for all the anxiety and all the insecurity and all the things that we experience at that time. So, you know, I can hear a song from my high school years that transports me to my friend's blue Chevy station wagon, you know, driving by my high school, you know, which is the song Reelin' in the Years, by the way. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> if I hear that, that, that's what instantly pops into my head is the, oh, the blue station wagon. It's, it's a great, that's the great thing about songs in general. It, it's just so powerful on such a deep level. Yeah. I, th- I think you just defined our show yeah, for Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That, that we, we, we never really had it. We never had it nailed down, but I think that might be the most succinct representation yeah, of what we're doing that, here. That's our show's mission statement. You're, you're reliving your teenage years through music. Pretty much, we, yes. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it really is. So I, I think if I look at that list, it is all within a six-year span. So I look at like from 1987 to 90, you know, 93, yeah, yeah. 94 right. has been all we've been yeah. doing. <laughs> Wow. Sorry, I, I just wanted to jump in with with a quick little question here. So uh, Patrick came to you with this song just to help sort of set it out and, like you said, flesh it out and and uh, and bring it to, to to what it is. Have did you guys collaborate much after this, or or did you guys work together on on mo- uh, more stuff afterwards? Or yeah, we we did actually. Um, we ended up uh, co-writing. Uh, a third writer was eventually brought in to write a bridge. Uh, we had a song in Roadhouse. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, called Cliff's Edge. You only hear it for like 20 seconds out of a car radio or something. Yeah. Like that, like a source cue. But it did end up on the soundtrack. Album. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, I, I think we mentioned that actually in, in the episode that we, in the podcast when we were talking about it. Yeah. But then more significantly, before Dirty Dancing came out or was even shot, in, I think it was 1985, in that same acting class, Milton, it was called the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Uh, they started a program called Sunday Brunch Theater, where students could book a few Sundays and put on some sort of theater piece that was maybe an hour or so. So it was, you know, something good for brunch at that time. And Patrick and Lisa was also a dancer. And they had a friend in the acting class named Nick Gunn, who had been the primo, uh, the, the lead male dancer for the Paul Taylor Dance Company in New York, which is a major modern dance company. And evidently, as they told me later, 
they would get together for drinks or a hamburger or whatever after acting class and talk about their experiences of moving into acting from dance and why each of them did that because they had different reasons and how difficult and necessary it was to give up one dream, grasp onto another and go after that dream. And in Patrick's case, he had to leave dancing because he was in pain all the time. He had messed up his knees in high school playing football. So he danced in pain all the time. Lisa was a unbelievably shy person who the kind of meat grinder atmosphere of dealing with a choreographer and the company, the, the dance company, it just sucked her soul from her and she couldn't deal with it anymore. And then Nick was getting too old for the uh, parts that had been choreographed for him. So anyway, they started formulating this idea for a theater piece, which they called uh, Without a Word, because uh, dance is without a word. And they approached me about it and asked me about writing music for it. And then in throwing out ideas, we thought during scene changes, it would be nice to have narration, you know, like some sort of spoken word element. And I had a tape recorder at my, in my apartment where we were able to do that. And I set it up where one would be on this speaker on this side, another one would float across, you know. So it became like this multimedia thing. And then we brought in a great percussionist who I'm still friends with, M.B. Gordy, whose band just got nominated for a Grammy. And oh, uh, wow. anyway, so it was M.B., besides me pre-recording some music for it, and then also you know, laying out the tracks in, in order. There was a live music element as well with me at the piano and synthesizer and uh, an MB on this percussion setup. So we did it for, I think, three or four Sunday brunches. But it was so popular and, and had garnered such a reputation that we decided to bring it back that winter or fall or whatever in the evenings on the weekends. And then it became a really big deal because now Gene Kelly showed up to see it. Liza Minnelli showed up to see it. All these stars were popping in to see this, this little show. And it won all these awards. And it was, it was absolutely fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Really neat. And, that's cool. Um, yeah. And then years later, after this was already after I had moved to Nashville, they decided to kind of adapt it for a, a dramatic feature that Lisa was going to direct and with the two of them starring a different dancer actor in the third role and uh, making it more of a narrative rather than the experimental type, which I actually didn't. I felt that they should have kept it more experimental. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they also ended up changing the title, which I hated, to One Last Dance. Uh, that was on under pressure from their investors. So I eventually came on and scored that film. And so I wrote the music for a bunch of the dance sequences, used a piece of music that I had written for the original one, and then wrote these, you know, uh, dramatic underscore parts as well, because that was my main business, was scoring work. And uh, that was then in the Nashville Film Festival. And they flew in for the festival, stayed with me here, which was chaos. <laughs> and I eventually, uh, I, I was home relaxing after they had left. 
And I got a call that I had just won the best music award at the Nashville Film Festival. Oh, wow. And I was like, I didn't know there was a competition. <laughs> what did I yeah. win? So they said $500. And I said, okay, great. Yeah. You know, so, uh, uh, but, um, but anyway, so yes, we did work together uh, again, which was, which was always a lot That's of fun. That's cool. That's cool. It, it sounds like you've had quite a, a, a friendship over the years, at least uh, reading some of your interviews and listening to podcast interviews you've done where you, you talked about that Nashville visit where you just, when they said they're going to be staying at your house, you're like, oh my goodness, there's yeah. no rest for me. <laughs> and so um, our, our good friend Liz sent us a question for you. It kind of deals with this because she had uh, kind of called us out on our, the songs we were picking before saying that we've yet to choose any sexy songs huh. for our uh, podcast. And of course, uh, our discomfort in answering means we definitely need to seek some sort of help. Well, you know that She's Like the Wind was voted the number one song in the world to have sex to. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. I should play the song more often then. <laughs> yeah. Good, Frank. She she mentioned this. She said, this is like the ultimate sexy song. My sister also let me know this. We're like, oh, wow. Okay, good. Okay. So we actually, we finally pulled this off. But she she asked about like Patrick Swayze in terms of his sort of personality. It seems like he was such an intense force of nature. She described him at least on screen. So when we would see him and and his movies, our main ones was Dirty Dancing, Point Break, and Roadhouse, which of course occurs in those six that six year period you talked about as well right. of our lives. But she she asked like being it. She used the term. She said, "What what was it like to be in his presence?" What was your sense of what he was like off camera? Like, what? How? How would you describe Patrick Swayze or, or your friend Buddy, rather? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, he was definitely incredibly charismatic. I mean, you knew this guy was a star. Uh, he right. he had that star quality about him. He was also so magnificently fit and right. and good looking, you know, in a rugged way. And but the thing about him was there was definitely a, an intensity because he was highly competitive. I mean, uh, his nickname when he was a teenager was Troph because of how many trophies he won. It, it was whatever he did, he had to be the best at it. And he right. studied rodeo roping and he did martial arts and he did, um, you know, archery and all this stuff. He knew how to twirl six shooters, you know, like a cowboy, you know, Oh, wow. And, and toss them and, you know, do all the... So it was amazing that way. As a matter of fact, one time uh, we were playing ping pong and he didn't know that I had grown up playing ping pong and I beat him soundly in the first game. And he was, I could see he was, his head was about to explode. <laughs> and, he, and I said, well, let's play again. Maybe I got lucky. So I beat him the, the next game. And then I said, you want to play again? I'll spot you seven points. And then he like threw down the paddle and walked away. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, so he brought that intensity to everything that he did. But there was also, he was very funny and almost in a goofy way. Like he loved practical jokes. And right. he loved like uh, the only way to put it is penis jokes. You know, and we right. would make fun of each other constantly. As a matter of fact, the story is... Um, like around 89, 1990 or so, I bought a white Corvette and he had his DeLorean. See, he loved sports cars. And uh, so I called him. They weren't living around the block anymore, but 
I said, I bought a sports car. I can't wait for you to see it. I bought a, a Corvette. And I went out and drove the car. I left the message on his machine. I came back. There was a message on my machine. And it said, you didn't buy a sports car. You bought a 15-foot fiberglass penis extension. <laughs> and I just burst out laughing. And then so he was like that, but could also take a joke very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, also probably the most gifted athlete I'd ever seen. I mean, I saw him, you know, water skiing where he drops one ski and he's jumping the wake on the one ski. You know, it's just all yeah. this stuff that he was able to do mm-hmm. physically that was just amazing. You kind of bring up like his uh, um, physical ability and and his humor, and it just reminds me of there's that one infamous uh, Saturday Night Live sketch uh, when uh, when he yeah. was hosting with uh, with Chris Farley, and in my mind, like that is something I, I rewatch on YouTube. I just find it just I don't understand how he didn't just break down laughing the entire time because here he is like as the Chippendales dancer and like going doing all of his moves, and then. Chris Farley right next to him, and and they have to sell it that Barney, Chris Farley's character, is is, is the sexier dancer. It's just that you know right. Patrick Swayze got the job only because he's more fit, and it's just that uh, that's one of those memories of Patrick Swayze that I had like growing up and seeing him uh, in media, and uh, that just never never goes away. It was actually also one of his favorite. Bits. Oh, okay. Uh, of, of anything that he ever did. Oh, really? That was one of his favorite things. Uh, the other was uh, dancing with his wife at the World Music Awards, which is, if you haven't looked that up, they're dancing to uh, Whitney Houston's uh, singing You Fill Me Up, whatever the song is. But it's okay. it's uh, was choreographed by a dancer friend of theirs named Lars Lubavitch, who also did some of the choreography for the movie that I scored for them. Okay. But it, it's just absolutely beautiful. It's it's the best dancing I ever saw either of them do. I have to check that out. I have a question uh, as well about like so back to the song too. I mean, the neat thing in your, in your friendship with Patrick Swayze, I did want to mention it, is it sounds like you also dished back whatever he dished out too. That yes. you were, and th- that's uh, I imagine he respected that a lot because I mean, there, I'm sure people would be in awe of, of all his. Uh, all the things he brought to the table, but it's it sounded like you seem like the type of friend who would also say, "Yeah, I, I beat you at that ping pong game. Just want to remind you that." Or <laughs> right, yeah. I, well, also, I think the thing that was important and why we stayed friends because you know, with Dirty Dancing, all of a sudden he was right. the biggest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an article in the New York Times about how he went to a record store in Manhattan to sign copies of the single of She's Like the Wind, you know, shortly after it had come out. And 5,000 people showed up. And there were police with the barricades. And one policeman said, I haven't seen anything like this since the Beatles were in town. <laughs> and so, but what happens is when you achieve that, especially that quickly, sharks start circling around. Right. They smell the blood in the water. Right. And he had more friends all of a sudden than he could possibly imagine. And it it was an interesting thing that he said to me once. He said, if you're talking to somebody and they say they're my friend and they call me Patrick, you know they're not my friend. Right. So it was like a, a code almost. And despite all the fame and all this stuff, I stayed very honest with him. Uh, if I felt he was doing something stupid, you know, or whatever, 
I would be honest with him about it mm -hmm. and then continue to joke with him. Like I remember we were sitting at a bar uh, when he signed to do Roadhouse and he was looking at, I think we had margaritas and he's looking at it and he said, I can't believe it. They're going to pay me a million dollars to do this movie. And so I sat there and I said, huh? And I looked at him and I said, have I ever told you exactly what our friendship means to me? And so he just <laughs> burst out laughing and you know, called me some sort of name. And, um, but it was important because there are so many people that all of a sudden are incredibly dishonest mm -hmm. uh, surrounding you or yesing you to death. And that's actually even worse. Right. That you have no accountability and you just, you know, that's, that's when the ego goes completely out of control. So um, I think that's, that's one of the reasons that we maintain the friendship. Frank, good to know for us. Once this podcast takes off, we'll need to make sure we have those people around. <laughs> you, you know how? Do you know how much your friendship means to me, Bill? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Stacy, I want to ask about those hip hop covers. There's two two major ones that I could find, uh, and I it was through your website because there was the one by the Vibe Kings. Yeah, Vibe Kings featuring Malik, and then um, Lumidi, I think, was a, a more right. recent one. Well, uh, yeah, what happened, um, I didn't, when I first saw it, I, again, I had, uh, was it, I don't know if Google was in existence. Well, yeah, it was probably in 2006 or so, but somehow I got news. Oh, I know how. It was, I got word through the uh, London office of EMI, which held the, basically, um, it's called sub-publishing, but it's administration rights for overseas. So they collect money overseas, take a percentage of it, and then the rest comes to us. So they had sent me a note saying that there was a new cover coming out in Germany. And, uh, you know, they sent me a recording of it, and I really liked the recording. It was, uh, I thought it was really imaginative. They shifted mm. a, a chord pattern a little bit, made it, you know, a little, a little hip, you know, work, worked in the st stylistically. And right. I thought the singer was great. And... Then all of a sudden, you know, I'm just on my computer and I put in Vibe Kings featuring Malik and up pops a video. Right. Uh, and with this dancer in the video and this whole thing. And I thought, wow, this is really good. And then I got some notice from something that it was climbing the charts in Germany, that it wasn't just some random little thing. And so I'm watching it, I'm keeping track of the German charts, and it got up to number two in Germany, and which is wow. significant both in terms of being a hit, but also Germany happens to pay very well in royalties. <laughs> So I was like, wow, this, this is great. <laughs> and um, this was when MySpace was a thing. Mm -hmm. And I found Malik, the singer, on MySpace and reached out to him. And he was thrilled. And we stayed in touch for a little bit. And then about a year later, 
I got word that an American hip-hop version was being done with a um, Puerto Rican singer and rapper named Lumi D, mm-hmm. and that she was, she was actually going to do the rapping, and that this other singer, Frankie Sunshine, was going to do the singing part. And it really was almost a ripoff of the Malik version. It was yes. extremely similar, uh, changing some sounds here and there, but it, it was almost like, okay, we'll, we'll do our own version and release it in the U.S. and, and see what happens. And, and it did well. It, it went to, I think on the Pop 100, it made it up to number 16 or something like that. Yeah. So it, it, it did okay. I remember hearing that one on the radio a few times. Yeah. And that was, you know, a kind of a thrill. It's like, oh, a total reimagining of the song, and I get to hear it again on the radio. Yeah, so yeah. that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was I was surprised because the Vibe Kings, we could I couldn't find it on either um, Apple Music or Spotify. Like it's just not out there. You can only find it on you. At least I can only find it on YouTube. Where the Lumidi you could find. Right. If you're in Germany and you go on Apple iTunes, it'll come up. Because it's available only in that market. Okay, okay. and but I I was shocked at how close they sounded together. Yeah. yeah. And the Lumidi was interesting because they changed it so much. Like s- such a key part of the song is that she's out of his league. Yeah. That she's never going to get near. But by the end of it, I'm like it sounds like they're kind of getting together. Like it really. Does. Yeah, and and they changed the lyric and said, "Being just a fool to believe I have anything she needs." They changed the "just a fool to believe she has anything I need." Which yeah. I did not care for it. Too yeah. Much. I yeah, thought I, that's missing the point of the mm-hmm. song. But, you know, still it was, you know, it was great to have yet another version. She's like, walk up right here. Come on, toughen up. Boom, get it together and just try your luck. Ever since I heard that you got the slow crush, I pass your way and it's giving me a rush. So I keep this style. Yes, I'm impressed. Always with the best, put the mother do the rest. So you ain't got the stress, cause I got what you need. I can ease your pain and fulfill all your dreams. Take that. I think yeah. as of now, there are probably like 50, 60 covers of it out there. Well, I mean, that speaks to the enduring quality of the songwriting. And, and when, when hip hop is looking towards your music, you know, you've, you've done something really right, too. I think it, they, they want to sample it or well, work with it. Buddy became a hero in the hip hop world. A matter of fact, a, a phrase was created that's in a lot of rap songs and hip hop songs called I Swayzied Her. And oh, <laughs> it, it means he ghosted her. It's from the movie Ghost. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. And it, it's like, or, or she Swayze'd me was, you know, uh, or I pulled a Swayze or something like that. And it's like, all of a sudden she ghosted me or I ghosted her. And that's from, um, you know, his starring role in that movie. And wow. uh, it was another thing he was particularly proud of. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm in all these rap songs. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. You know you've made it if you've if you become like a verb or yeah. something to to a whole uh, yeah, yeah. group of people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I knew the song was big when it made it into the New York Times Sunday crossword puzzle. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm addicted to the New York Times crossword puzzle. And one day I'm you know Sunday morning I'm doing the puzzle and I say, you know, it's one of the clues. It was like blank like the wind, and the answer was right. she is. And I said, okay, now it's 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 really made it into. You're in. Yeah. 
on your website, you have this great, st- it's it's a great story, but you, I mean, I imagine for you living the story felt more tragic at the time. But when, when you finally found out that it was released as a single, that it was, uh, was it around Thanksgiving, I think, or something like that? It, it was a few weeks after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right. Uh, what, what happened was, as I think I mentioned briefly earlier, yeah. Wendy and I, after more than seven years together, I mean, we moved together from New York to California. Right. And, uh, and we worked here, we wrote music for TV together, we worked in the studio together. And then she started getting her own thing, I started getting my own thing, and then whatever the glue was just started to fall apart. Right. And right. we broke up ultimately right around Thanksgiving. So right. about three weeks before the, the single was released. And it was devastating to me. You know, it was, uh, she got her own apartment and we were having fights about, you know, who gets the dogs on the weekends, you know, right. things like this. So I didn't know what to do with myself one night. It was in December. And I decided to take myself out to Tower Records on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, which was, you know, great store. And I'm wandering through, at that time, the newly released singles were mounted in their vinyl 45s up on the wall. And it would say, Mm -hmm. new releases this week. And so I'm walking along and I see like a Rick Astley song. It's like, who's Rick Astley? You know, like this. And a a (laughs) Tiffany song and things like this. And I'm... Remember, I was mumbling to myself and I said, you know, are they ever going to release this as the third single? Because the record label will never tell you. They never tell the writers Mm -hmm. if it's going to come out or not. They don't want to make promises and then change course at the last minute and get somebody upset or whatever. So they never tell you. So I'm walking along and I say, yeah, there's that song. There's there's She's Like the Wind. And I stopped and I said, Wait, what? And I looked up and there's this picture of Patrick and it says she's like the wind and the dirty dancing font. There was somebody standing next to me. I don't know if it was a salesperson or whatever. And, and I just blurted out, nobody tells me anything. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy looked and he said, excuse me? And I said, oh, oh, it's nobody told me that song was coming out. Yeah. And they, he said, have you been waiting for it to come out? And I said, yeah, I co-wrote it. <laughs> so uh, it was uh, just one of those funny things. It's great that there's these cinematic moments in our lives, right? And you have that, that's kind of a, I mean, you've had so many moments from at least, but that one especially seems to bring true for us, that idea of just being out there and suddenly there's a light shining down on this yeah, on yeah. this moment. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the craziest and most cinematic moment, because as I mentioned earlier, my main business was scoring film and TV, writing music to picture doing the dramatic underscore. And one time, this was after She's Like the Wind had become this massive hit, and Wendy and I were having a huge fight on the phone about something. I I don't even remember what it was. And it being California, the windows were open on my apartment, and the windows of the apartment across the driveway was open as well. My neighbor in there, and Wendy and I are yelling at each other, and my neighbor's radio was on, and She's Like the Wind came on his radio. And I could hear it clearly in my apartment. Yeah. And I'm really, my head's beginning to spin, and I'm counting down the number of bars till she starts singing. 
And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is really bizarre. So finally, I said to her just before her part was going to come in, I said, I have to hang up. I'm sorry, but I have to hang up. She was like, why? And I said, because my life has become a B movie and I supplied <laughs> my own underscore for it. And then I hung up. <laughs> but that, that was truly bizarre to be yeah. on the phone listening to something I wrote and the singer is the one I'm arguing with on the phone. Yeah. I mean, that was that was too strange. Well, I uh, there is a f- I mean you got I know you have a lot of projects on the go, but a, a future Stacy Widelitz movie <laughs> might be something worth considering. Yeah. <laughs> Just reading through I'm like this is pretty it, fascinating. It sounds too contrived. I don't think anybody yeah. would buy that. Say no, that that never <laughs> happened. Yeah, they, well this is life, right? There's so much yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about writing an autobiography or anything like that? Yeah, I think there's going to be sometime in the near future some sort of memoir yeah. uh, that also combines with the photography that I've been doing. Because there have been so many interesting chapters, especially since I moved to Nashville. I, I don't know if you guys were aware that I was an elected official for four years. Here. <laughs> yes. I was yeah. actually, uh, I, I live in Oak Hill. And for four years, I was commissioner in Oak Hill. For two of those years, I was vice mayor. Or I like to say mayor of vice. Yeah. <laughs> So there have been so many unexpected twists and turns because I have this philosophy that it's great to be focused and to know where you're headed, but it's really important to not wear blinders so that you can see what's on the periphery Right. because the things that are in the periphery are sometimes the most interesting things, and you might miss it if you're just so dead set. That's why it's it's been like this meandering path, but I th- I think... It would be interesting, you know. Oh, totally. <laughs> it's been fascinating just hearing the, uh, your, your, I don't know if I'd say pivot, because you're still doing some, I think s- music is still part of your life yeah. and, and scoring. But in your photography, just looking at, uh, I was going through it with my wife uh, the other night, your most recent picture you posted on Instagram, and they're great. They, it's, uh, it was the barbershop yeah. picture. Yeah. And, there's so much going on in the shot. So um, my wife, Ashley, was talking to me about all these different things that make the picture what it is because she's studied art as well. And and I know you've talked about this for academia as well, where it isn't something where you read a book right. and then you can learn how to take a picture right. or you can learn how to write a song. And so my my sense in this picture is that you saw something got that picture. Like you didn't you didn't have these people all set up in this moment, but you could see the moment and were able to take that picture right away. Yeah. Is that Yeah, it, it it's exactly as it was cuz my type of photography is called street photography. Right. Where it's it's happenstance. You right. you come across a scene, you see people in either pain or joy or a moment of thought or reflection and you try to capture that Right. And convey that sense to somebody else. And right. I took that picture that you're talking about just last Thursday. Wow. Uh, so I was downtown Nashville. I have gallery representation downtown. And uh, so I was in that area. So I figured, oh, if I find the parking space, I'll pop into the gallery and say hi. And I did. And I had my camera in the car, my my pro camera. Right. And... Um, rigged with a, a lens that I really like for street photography and works in lower light also. So I thought, you know, I've got another 15 minutes or so. Let me walk around, see what I find. I went to this one area and was dead. 
And then I walked down this, it's like a covered mall almost called the Arcade. And uh, there are a lot of old shops in there. And the first thing that caught my eye was there was a woman sitting in the window of the barber shop with tattoos all over her. And she was doing something. So at yeah. first I started to focus on her. But this is the periphery thing again. I saw the reflection of the barber and his customer in the mirror. And I thought, that's the shot. Let's see if I can get that in focus. And so I framed it, you know, um, took two shots of it, both very similar, but there was one I preferred, the, the first yeah. one that I got. Yeah. And, you know, it's always when I bring it home and load it into, you know, computer or tablet or whatever, and then I look at it and I say, oh, okay, that's, that's a really good photo. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, that just got featured by a street photography group called Inspired Street Photography. And if they like your photo very much, they'll feature it in their gallery, which they did right. yesterday. Oh, cool. It's incredible because there's a close sign right right at the front. It's, it's blurred, but you look closely. And and I know from my time as a, sometimes an English teacher, I teach math now. But you could write an essay on all this. And so we would, as teachers, we would we would say, well, this is what he's doing. You see what he noticed here? He did this, then he did this. But for you... That all, and I asked my wife, she said, she just kind of looked at me like, yeah, this is what we do, Bill. So it's just, <laughs> there's a moment and you capture it, you see it. And for us, we're trying to figure out all the little bits. And so I think of that with your songwriting as well. The uh, Doc Walker song, uh, This Train. That, uh, that Train. That, that train. train. That That's train. one of my favorite songs I've ever co right. with anybody. Because they asked you about a line or they had something, but they didn't know what it meant. And I right. think your response was similar to what you're saying. It's like, don't think about what it means. Well, it, it was actually, they had a whole chorus written. Right. And it was all about, you know, the, the wheels keep spinning, uh, turning around and the engine never slows down. And, and he knew that this track would lead to heartache and pain, but he still got on that train. So right. they sang that for me um, here at my house. Right. It was the first time I was working with them also. So I had you know, it's weird. These two Canadian guys come over and, you know, I meet them for the first time. And within an hour, we're working on a song. Right. Which is a very intimate experience. So anyway, so they played the chorus. They didn't, they didn't know if it was a verse. They didn't know if it was a chorus. They just had it. And I said, well, that's great. And they said, yeah, but what does it mean? Is it, is it the chorus? Is it? I said, yeah, it's the chorus. And I think the song's called That Train. And I said, to me, it means addictive behavior that right. you, you know it's going to be destructive you know you're going to be in pain but you still do it again you get on that train repeatedly right and then i started coming up uh, i said you know we can structure this as a s- story song where each verse is a different story that relates to addictive behavior and the chorus and so i immediately came up with the the lines um he woke up on a cold floor in a motel on the south side of nowhere. And because that painted such a bleak scene. Right. And, you know, it implies that he's just repeating it. And then I knew a woman, the second verse, I knew a woman who had been um, abused by uh, a man and she stayed in the relationship way too long. Yeah. And she was from Georgia. And so the second verse was, and there's a girl down in Georgia a uh, broken homecoming queen knocked around black and blue. So it, it, you, you get these elements in there. And then Chris, the, the singer from Doc Walker, had a brilliant idea for the third verse where it was about him. You get addicted to being on the road. And 
we did like a little work tape of it, which, and I thought, you know, this is a great song. And then they decided to put it on their record. And when they sent me the recording of it, I, I wrote them both back. I said, there are moments in my career where I'm grateful for what I do. And this is one right. of those moments. Right. It was just so powerful. And the, the video they did for it was great also. And the wheels keep turning around. The engines, they never slow down. And I knew that these tracks would lead to heartache and pain. But I still got on that train. still got on that train so much of your life seems to be these moments where you capture them or or just go go with that moment i think about when you talk about the third and fourth line i think of she's like the wind where she leads me through moonlight only to bring me to the sun right. it's like a moment where it's like no just write it. what is it you know uh her buddy is saying to you what what does that even mean doesn't right. matter write yeah. it down and i and uh I mean, for us, of course, we think it's about uh, vampires, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because I had um, somebody, either a photographer, no, a woman that works at the gallery, uh, yeah. say to me, said, you know, do you have a philosophy of photography? And I said, yeah, it's based on taking lessons in skeet shooting. And so she said, what is it? And I said, don't think, shoot. Right. <laughs> okay. You know, because yeah. that's what my skeet shooting instructor always said to me because if he said you're thinking about it he said just see the arc shoot right. see the arc shoot so it's really an anti very anti-academic way of looking at it right uh it's not like oh i have to frame it this way and the lighting has to be this it's mm -hmm. like matter of fact you mentioned books when i was realizing that the photography was kind of becoming a thing because of the response i was getting this uh, about four or five years ago I saw this book for sale that said, how to take great pictures of people. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this could, this could be helpful. So I bought the book and I read the first three pages and closed it and put it on the shelf and said, I'm not reading this because there are too many rules. You know, mm -hmm. make sure the person is in this part of the frame and this and this and this. this. Not only is that going to take all the fun and joy out of it, but it's just going to be stale and it's going to look like everybody else's stuff. And so it, it was like, no, I, I just have to, if people are responding to what I'm doing, then let me just go with that and learn as I'm going, which I did. Now I know, you know which lens works in low light and things like this. Although I, I studied music extensively, I still had yeah. kind of an anti-academic view of it. Right, it was, it right. was more a practical point of view. Well, and it seems like a, a mantra too to be to capture the moment, be in the moment, and and take advantage of the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like a yeah. It's uh, the street photography is a very zen experience. Yeah, you you have to get out of your own head. I refer to it as the anti selfie. You know, instead of it being oh here I am in front of this building, look at me. It's like oh look at that person. What's that person thinking? Mm -hmm. It's more enjoyable. I mean, who wants to see me? So. Right. But we get to now see through your eyes in a sense, right? right. So instead of just seeing you, we're seeing yeah. Yeah. what you see. Yeah. Wow. That's, it's great advice for us in our podcast, Frank. So we got to stick to the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which Frank is much better at. Let, less, I got everything planned out. Less editing. Just, 
just just let it flow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, oh, I got to let that go. It's going to take a while. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy, there's a um, a line you said at his memorial service, uh, uh, Patrick Swayze's memorial service, that I found really moving. And I wrote it down. I just wanted to read it out just as something to bring it back to the, well, where this all started with She's Like the Wind and, and all that it did. You said, I'll always be proud that the names Patrick Swayze and Stacey Weidlitz are forever linked by something we created something that has unexpectedly touched millions of people around the world. And yeah. well, that's a pretty, it's pretty incredible. That th- I mean, when I think about that song and think about the people I talk to about the song, they just kind of like, I, I, I might've told a ton of people that I was, that we were going to be doing this today. Yeah. They just, their eye, they're just, are you kidding? That song. And so, you know, my sister at Christmas was like, oh, oh my good. Like that song means so much. And, and I, in the podcast, we talked about how it was her first you know, song that she d- danced to a boy with, dance, uh, and um, just so many people will talk about stories they had with the song, how much it means to them, and uh, how incredible that is that you got to be a, a part of that. Well, the amazing thing, especially if it's a song that becomes an evergreen, like mm-hmm. She's Like the Wind, that just lasts for now decades, really. It's, it's fantastic to hear it on the radio, and it's great to get the royalties, yeah. you know, and all the jokes yeah. about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I have a friend that calls royalties horizontal money because yep. you can stay horizontal all day long and still collect it. So <laughs> it's, uh, but the biggest pleasures are when you do hear the stories. Like I spoke at a, uh, a cancer survivor convention that a yeah. friend, friend of mine had put together and uh, talked about Patrick because he had died of pancreatic cancer and, mm-hmm. and uh, of us working together. And... Later, I was walking through the lobby and this couple came up to me and the man, they introduced themselves and the man said, I just want to tell you that when she was going through chemotherapy, the only thing she wanted to listen to was the soundtrack from Dirty Dancing. And when we found out that she was in remission, we set up a stereo outside and danced under the moonlight to She's Like the Wind. (laughs) And, you know, I'm standing there just... And I've used that story in talking to other songwriters where, you know, we have a joke in songwriting is we're, we're just writing songs. We're not curing cancer. And then I tell them that story and I say, don't be so sure. So that, the, that's the, the great pleasure. But talk about unprepared. You know, the line that you read back to me was right. totally off the cuff because when I walked into the memorial service, which had about 150 people there, and was being hosted by Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Lisa, Patrick's widow, came up to me and said, I'm asking certain friends to get up and tell like a two or three minute funny, hopefully funny anecdote about him. And so I said, you know, you could have called me last week <laughs> yeah. to tell me this <laughs> instead of me walking right in. And so she said, will you do it? And I said, yeah, I've got plenty of funny stories about him. Then I turned to her and I said, wait, you want me to tell a funny story in front of Whoopi Goldberg? <laughs> and so uh, she said, yeah. And I said, oh, okay. And so the line that you mentioned was yeah. totally unplanned. I mean, it just, right. it, I told the funny story and then that was the, you know, kind of the bring it on home emotional moment. And I sat down, I was sitting next to Jennifer Gray through the whole thing, who just sobbed uncontrollably for three hours. Mm -hmm. It was was amazing. So much of life is these captured in these moments, right? Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Just a soul of belief. 
I know we're we're past an hour now. It's been you've been so generous with your time. Yeah, this too. has been really fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's it's per- perfect timing. My my favorite time of the year is between Christmas and New Year's because yes. all my emails stop. You know, I'm involved. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm the past president of Leadership Music, past president right. of the Opera, past president of the Film Festival, current president of the. So I I'm barraged by emails. So right. it's this sweet moment where it's like, oh, I have a dog. You know, yeah. I forgot <laughs> I have a dog. How many Google alerts came up today for She's Like the Wind? Did, did, uh, three so far. Today. Three so far. Yeah. Okay. And right. uh, about six on Dirty Dancing also. Okay, so, great. So uh, it's, it's, it's constant. It's, it's every yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and we're just, uh, Bill and I, I think we're, we're just, like I said, we, we're kind of floored that, uh, you know, you, act, you listen to our podcast and you've reached out to us and um, like I said, I was, I was nervous cause I thought it was going to be a cease and desist, but, uh, uh, <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're like just super, super pumped that, uh, that, that you reached out to us and, and that you, uh, engaged with us with, with this as our, like our fledging, fledgling little podcast is, is, a you know, start well, to grow wings a little bit, maybe. <laughs> like, like I said, that that's actually in credit to both of you because yeah. when I listened to the podcast, I clicked on play with some trepidation of like, because I've heard, I heard one podcast where two guys talking much like you and right. one said, and I didn't realize that a woman co-wrote She's Like the Wind. <laughs> and that one, I did write to them in a very different manner. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and knocked on the door. Yeah. <laughs> I sent them a note, much like I did with you guys on Facebook saying, yeah. you know, a simple Google search of my yeah. name would yeah. have brought up pictures of me and you would have seen that I am not a woman and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know so it was just and they got everything wrong right and I was just asto- astonished that they decided to put out a podcast without doing any research yeah so I was impressed that you guys actually put thought into it and right. you know did the shout out to me and then you knew about Wendy and you know all these different things that you would research mm-hmm and uh, that I, I was impressed, and I, I enjoyed it. You have a good dynamic between the two of them. Oh, well, we greatly appreciate it. And these songs mean a ton to us. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Anytime you're up in the Niagara region, you know, you can pull a Patrick Swayze and crash on one of our houses. So you just <laughs> let us know. <laughs> yeah, it's I've, I've always meant to go up there. The last time I was at Niagara Falls was when I was five years old. Oh, okay. And uh, I remember I was upset because I was too small to go stand by the uh, what the wind tunnel or where. where oh yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was I was too young for that, and I really wanted to. But one of these days I'll get back up there. Well, hey, if you're up and we'll we'll take you through that tunnel, in Niagara Falls, maybe yeah. made of the mist. We'll we'll make sure you get the full experience. They can oh, yeah, come to the Winchester the and do a yeah. do a live recording with us. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stacy, we wish you a happy new year and excited for all that's to come for you with the uh, with the photography and and whatever scoring opportunities are coming. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and if anybody out there is interested, it's just Stacy Widelitz as one word: S T A C Y W I D E L I T Z dot com. If they want to follow me on Instagram, which is just for my photography, that's just at Stacy Widelitz. So. Uh, it's the good thing about having a, a weird name is it becomes a brand. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll put links into that when we, uh, when we release the, uh, the okay. episode as well. Yes. I'm speaking for Bill because he does all the work. 
That's <laughs> okay. Frank, Frank's, Frank's all about the moment, and I'll, uh, right. I'll pick up the slack. You'll put so. in the, uh, the, the actual digging. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we're so grateful for this, Stacey. So thank you so much. Sure. Absolutely. This was fun.